Welcome back to Divided States of Women. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Heatha Herzog. Okay, back when we launched this show, it wasn't that far long ago. Um, it's been like 10 weeks. It's really <laughs> but been 10 weeks. I know, 10 beautiful weeks. Yes. Um, but back when we launched the show, yeah. the most high-profile sexual harassment accusations of the year revolved around one person, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Uh, and there was this Access Hollywood tape, and multiple women were coming forward to accuse him of mistreatment and sexual misconduct. And 10 weeks ago feels like a lifetime in sexual misconduct years, it right? It feels like it it's, feel, it's like in cat years. Yeah, we've you know, aged so much. Yeah, we're like 95 now. Exactly. So we're crazy. all old ladies. Yep. So today on the show, we're going to talk about sort of where we go from here. You know, we're living in this moment of reckoning around sexual assault and sexual harassment, but I'm really interested in sort of what happens next. Um, and even though it seems like we're in this tipping point and this is a watershed moment, as every cable news anchor has said at the beginning of every segment about this, you know, there's also negative consequences that can happen of this or drawbacks of this conversation. How could this conversation be, you know, more complete and more specifically, who are the women who are missing from it? So all of this and more on today's show. Are you excited, Heath? I am so excited. In fact, I was coming to terms with my own situation at the yoga studio yeah. where that guy put his feet on my back uh, while I was in Shavasana. I know it sounds disgusting, and I'm sure some listeners are laughing right now, but um, even dealing with that, mm -hmm. and I think in the last 10 weeks, I've been able to be more vocal about that. Yeah, you called the studio. I did. Yeah. And they didn't want to do anything about it. It's... And I gave them a chance to say something about it, and they wouldn't. And did you tweet at them? Uh, I haven't yet. You know what I was mm. going to do is, for everyone that's listening and anyone that follows us on Twitter, I was going to put up the email so you could see exactly what mm. I said and mm. their non-response to it. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you. Thanks, babe. But um, it's not a political issue. It's a women's issue now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we are. Before, a men's issue, I would argue. And a men's <laughs> issue. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I think it's actually, it's you're right. a people's issue. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's truly American. Uh, I think it was Jessica Valenti who said uh, rape culture is as American as apple pie. Um, and I think we are seeing that right now unfold, um, whether it's in you know the government, uh, in the media, obviously in Hollywood, we've been seeing these really high profile uh, accusers and people who are being accused. Um, but who are also the women that we're not you know, hearing about who are the women who are not being centered in, you know, stories about sexual assault, about sexual harassment um, and who sort of have the most to lose in these situations and you often don't get the voice they deserve. You mean the women that aren't Hollywood yeah. actresses? Rich, and white. Yeah, exactly. But women uh, who, you know, have job security, have high profile lawyers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So there are a lot of women who Publicists. exactly just don't, you know, even if they want to report these kinds of, uh, you know, crimes they they're just not in a position to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll be speaking about how, yeah, common this experience is for so many women and across every single industry and which industries we haven't been hearing as much about. So we're joined by Michelle Garcia, who's the Vox Senior Editor for Race and Identities and a very good friend of mine. Uh, we're also joined by Nell Bernstein, who's the author of Burning Down the House, The End of Juvenile Prison. She wrote a recent piece for BuzzFeed that was really excellent. Everyone should go read it. It's called The Floodgates Aren't Open Until Working Class Women Tell Their Stories. Very excited to be here. So, Michelle, 
you know, it, it's it's when I think about it, I just get overwhelmed with everything that has happened in the last nine weeks, but also within the last four weeks, right? This all this Harvey Weinstein stuff and everything that's kind of coming out of the woodwork has just. I mean, it's just one thing after another after another, and it's not just Hollywood now. It's media. It's I'm waiting for Wall Street to kind of come down the pipeline because that's what I usually kind of hang out in. So do you think that we're at a watershed moment at this point? Do you think more is about to come out? Like, what are we what are we going to what's to expect? What do we what should we expect here? Yeah, I think. We are definitely at a moment where we're reckon- like we're finally reckoning with this power imbalance, right? That that's been happening throughout the course of, I guess, gender dynamics, human history. You know, <laughs> uh, so if anything, we're we're at a moment now where we are at least talking about stuff. We're at least like trying to start holding people accountable for uh, long held actions and and deep seated histories of uh, the way that women are often treated in workplaces like honestly anybody who's worked anywhere anywhere (laughs) has probably heard a story or has experienced something or has seen something you know where they could call out like wow that was really not cool you know that was somebody I know was harassed at work or like a cust even customers you know uh can harass people who work in restaurants and hotels and stuff like that and to the point where you know, women are uh, women, and also men as well. But women, especially, are kind of held in this uh, this this place of power imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. So that I think is what we're really at least just starting to reckon with, which is kind of the scary thing when it comes to covering this story, right. is that we're just starting. <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, I was on Twitter, and there's a woman, a conservative pundit, that was saying that you know it's not. Sexual harassment is defined a certain way, and inappropriate behavior in the workplace is a totally different thing. Are we mixing up sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior? Now, I have my personal thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear what you think on that. Oh, certainly. I think, I mean, yes, there's there's a range. You've got, like, sexual misconduct. You have inappropriate behavior. You have uh, sexual harassment. You have sexual abuse and assault and rape. Like, there is really, like, a spectrum. Um, I think a lot of it comes from, like, the same sort of place of, like, who is in power and, like, where does that power come from? Who gives that power? Who regulates that power? And, like, that to me is kind of what we're really dealing with, you know, even more so than sexual contact and inappropriateness. I think that's the, the root cause of a lot of this. And I think Nell will probably speak more to, like, the economics of that imbalance, too. Right. And and I think what's become clear, too, is that for a lot of women, that power imbalance has always been felt. If you yeah. are not in a position of power, you feel that. And people who are in positions of power sometimes don't see that. It's sort of like privilege, right? You just don't see it until someone, we've now been talking about it, but I think for a lot of people, I've been talking to a lot of men about this, who are rethinking their behavior and rethinking their position. Yeah, all um, men too. In, in the workplace. Right? It's all men. I mean, not to point all the, the fingers at them, but... I, what I'm hoping follows this conversation is a conversation about men right. and what they've been taught because, uh, you know, we're obviously seeing individual problems with individual men, but there's also a culture there and similarities that we should definitely talk about. So I want to bring in Nell right now because you wrote a really, really great piece about the women who are sort of being forgotten in this conversation. So, you know, women of color, marginalized women are more likely to be victims um, of 
you know, sexual harassment, of sexual abuse, and yet they're often less likely to report it or be centered in these conversations. And, you know, we've heard about female farmers, for example, who have who are saying that they're standing with the women of Hollywood, um, but who are saying that sexual harassment is, is a systemic problem in their industry. You wrote about housekeepers. Um, can you talk about the women who are forgotten in the conversation that we're having right now? Yeah, I can. And I, I do want to say I'm uncomfortable speaking for or about women who I'm not. I, I spent years in the service industry, but that's not where I am now. I wanted to do this as a reported story, and I still do. But honestly, these women are still in a position where it's not safe to speak out. So I, I do just want to say that. I'm, I'm hoping to start a conversation, but really what we need to do is listen to women in service industries, not talk about them. Okay, that said, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, I think the first thing that we've forgotten, it's mentioned now and then, is that the Me Too movement under that name didn't start a few months ago. It started in 2006, and it was a black woman who started it. And I know that's been mentioned, but, but really, I think most of America thinks it began with Harvey Weinstein and Alyssa Milano. So that's how deep this sort of silencing goes. The point I made in my piece is just that for every actress who's now empowered to come out and talk about being silenced by you know a six-figure settlement, there's hundreds of waitresses and hotel workers who are cleaning up the suites where these things happen who are silenced by the, the, the risk of losing a job that feeds their family. And is this a watershed moment? Are things going to change? I think that depends entirely on how broad the conversation becomes, and not just the conversation, but whatever change is going to come out of that conversation. Because when I worked in these jobs, it's not that I complained and no one listened. It didn't cross my mind. And as I talk to younger women today, it's not crossing their mind even now that there's any recourse or any right or any power. And and that's the part of the conversation that I think we need to to begin now. I think you bring up a really good point. So listening to you speak, you know, I'm always I'm, I'm reminded of what happened with Dominique Strauss-Kahn. I don't think that I have a perfect French accent there, <laughs> but in this horrible situation happened in his hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, this man clearly this was a power play and we barely heard from the person that he mm-hmm. abu- allegedly abused. I mean, what was so striking to me is that she couldn't even, there was no platform for her. And then she just got pushed aside and silenced. And was we don't even know, I can't even I can remember his name, but I can't remember her name. So how do we as women, especially women with platform and with privilege, you know, I'm a woman of color with educational privilege. I have a platform. How do we bring voice to these women? Do we concentrate on her story more? I mean, I feel like when we were, I, you know, I'm also a business reporter, so when that came out, we concentrated on his story a lot. Is it a reporter's responsibility to do that? Uh, I, I do think that this is on us as the media to seek out and tell this, these stories, but there's another piece, which is it's going to take a lot, a lot of work to make it safe for these women to tell these stories to the media. Uh, Chicago actually took an interesting step they passed an ordinance, the No Harvey in Hotels ordinance, something like that. So they're going to put panic buttons in hotel rooms so that when 
uh, you're delivering room service or cleaning somebody's room and you are in danger, you can hit a panic button. But think about that, a panic button. Um, I've been really stuck on the word sexual harassment and trying not only to use it because we're not talking about sexual harassment in his case. We're talking about, at the very least, sexual predation and in many cases, outright rape. And I think that's another danger is that we begin to conflate these things, which you know then allows people to start talking about victim feminism and trivializing what are actually serious crimes. Mm. How do we, maybe it's not just us reporting out something. I mean, how do you change government so they actually do something? What is, what is our responsibility as women to hold governments, everything from hotel rooms and their panic button to governments? accountable if they're going to say they're going to protect young women girls and women how do we hold them accountable you know you mentioned um farm workers organizing earlier somebody did one there was a response to the buzzfeed piece that really hit me hard it was um, an activist who reminded me that women are organizing for change but they are farm workers and hotel workers and restaurant workers minimum wage workers who are out organizing to change laws, they're out in the street. I don't think that higher status professional women are there yet. And maybe that's because we can get as much traction with a tweet. But I think this is a place where it's not appropriate for us to lead. We need to follow. These these moves these movements are happening and we need to learn about them and support them as journalists publicize them and and join and follow them. And, and, and speaking of government, there was an interesting reaction from the U.S. government or a member of the U.S. government as women who are legislators uh, came out sort of in mass. More than 50 women came out and talked about the fact that they'd experienced some sort of sexual harassment in the workplace. Jackie Spear, um, who's been sort of spearing this effort, talked about how women had been groped on the Congress floor and that two of the men who are known to be sexual serial harassers are still serving in office. And so she introduced the Me Too Act. That's legislation that seeks to change the system for reporting incidents. She wants to crack down on these abuses. And then there's a member uh, of Congress, Rodney Davis of Illinois, who in a hearing about this said that he's worried that we are now going to hire less women in (laughs) congressional offices. This comment was reported and then it sort of created this big backlash on on Twitter. People were like, well, maybe that's saying, are, are you advocating for hiring less women and obviously he said he he wasn't he basically said that this could be a unfortunate consequence of women coming forward with allegations and and to be completely honest i've heard people say this i've heard people um say you know well now you know people are going to be afraid of hiring women because women get sexually harassed and like their bodies are out there sexually harassing men I, i don't even get you know michelle what do you think about this logic that in order to curb discrimination against women, we're going to discriminate against women. Like, I, right? I, I can't follow it. It's really unfortunate, <laughs> I think, because it it just so misses what is happening and how these workplaces, like, across the board, like, these workplaces will uh, institute kind of, like, for lack of a better term, half-ass <laughs> solutions <laughs> that then don't say, like, oh, maybe, you know, like, by shutting out women from this workplace, from this opportunity, from this boardroom, from this meeting, from this one-on-one, it's curbing their opportunities as 
uh, women in their careers to, to advance and to, to, to make the connections they need to make and, and so on and so on. And, you know, what if everybody followed the Pence rule and didn't meet with women? That, that would be devastating to right. women's careers. It's obviously there reveals that who we're putting the burden of responsibility on. Yep. You know, instead of saying maybe <laughs> I don't think we should hire less men. I think we should think about the men that we're hiring and think about their behavior and actually maybe having more women in positions of power because there are many barriers to women you know, t- taking on those managerial roles. If we were to help uh, alleviate some of those barriers, maybe we'd yeah. have a less unequal workplace to begin with. I, I just think that's brilliant. I mean, what if there were a movement to say for every powerful man who is toppled by these allegations? There were a concerted effort to replace him with a woman. Oh my God, I'm all for that now. Even every movie, every movie that's been canceled, like we need women and women in comedy have been pushed out forever. Let's let's replace all these creeps with let's have bad ass running women. Amazon, running Fox. I mean, seriously, yeah. you guys are are younger than me. What's the hashtag for that? Let's do it. Um, hire, hire women. Like <laughs> replace a creep with a. With a here's my thing. Okay. Here's my thing. <laughs> here's my thing. Sorry, I guess you can't say that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, listen, I am obviously all for hiring women. I am a career woman. I will always be working until I can't anymore. What happened to just be so good they can't not hire you? What happened to that? Wait, I like mean, women? How is that humanly possible? Women. Well, no. women are already superhumanly no, amazing. Wh- but that's what I'm saying. Okay. I get hired not because I am a woman. It's because I'm really good at what I do. Right, but there are many women who are really good at what they do, and they get pushed out of the workplace because there's no parental leave, because they have, you know, uh, there's discrimination against mothers in the workplace. There's all kinds of reasons why women don't have access to certain levels of power inside the workplace, right? That don't have to do with their inherent skill. Not all of this can be twice as good. And it would work in a merit-based economy, and and we're not in a merit-based economy. So we're saying that because we should just assume that all women... Uh, are mediocre and we should no, just... No, they're as good as men. And so they should be rewarded equally in a meritocracy. I, I, you know what, but I don't think that men in the workplace, that doesn't function that way. People don't get hired just because they're men and they are... You know, this is You have to work to a certain degree and to a certain level in order to get to that position that you're in and to, in order to get that job. I mean, So there's more men in power because they're better? Like, is that the, the logic? I can draw from that. I don't know. I mean, listen, I am in a in everything that I am surrounded by and all the women that I am surrounded by, we worked really hard to get there and we earned it on the fact that we are just really good at our jobs. Like, they can't not ignore. Okay, but are you saying that the women who, who did not achieve those things did not achieve them because they're not working as hard as men? I mean, let, let's think about we instead I guess of I. I'm not. I'm not pitting, I'm not saying it's a woman or a man thing. I'm just saying it's a human thing and we just need to be the best we can be in order to get those positions. I don't think I, that we should I just... I have two teenagers. One is a girl and one is a boy. So a lot of this for me is filtered through that. And as they get older, honestly, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that mm. my daughter will in fact have to work harder to achieve the same things that my son says. So I'm trying to imagine sitting down with her and saying, honey... You know, it's going to be okay. You just have to work twice as hard and be twice as good as your brother, your twin brother, and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, not to... I'm just not okay with settling for that. Yeah, so not to trivialize what uh, you were saying, but, (laughs) you know, as a kid, I heard the term, you know, you have to be twice as good as anybody else just to get the same thing. And I'm, I'm not, I didn't mean like, you know, as a 10 year old, I mean like two, three years old, you know, mm-hmm. my parents, my parents, you know, are very unapologetically black people. <laughs> and, you know, they were raising two young girls, you know, and they really had to make that very clear to us. And I'm glad they did. But why? You know, and we heard the first time I'd have heard that uh, uh, publicly, not just among like conversations I had with other women and other women of color. But, you know, you hear that on Scandal and it was just like. You know, Kerry Washington says that with her father, and it was just, like, such a moment of, like, oh, my goodness, they they know. Like, they see us. They hear us. Like, this is so much a reality of being a woman, being a woman of color, you know, that you have to do that. But the question is, like, why? Why do we have to prove that we're not, like, affirmative action hires and, you know, like, that whole thing? Like, kids would come up to me at school and be like, oh, well, or at college, and be like, you got up here because of affirmative action. I'm like... We go to a state school. Like we go to a B, a B state school. Like what are you talking right, about? Right. You know, like it, it's like this this question of like you're constantly having to defend who you are just to exist, um, and I think like that is such a problem that we just cannot like. I I personally think that we are just at the very edge of reckoning with that in terms of race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity for so many people of just reckoning with, like, who gets to be treated like a human? (laughs) When we say equal playing field, like, who is on that playing field? Well, who is determining those rules, though? I think that's what it comes down to. Like, who makes up those rules? Is it... Is it us, the women? Is it nope. the? Is it, <laughs> I can safely say is, is it's it not my corporate, you know, former investment banking boss that makes up those rules of how we're supposed to act in in an investment banking environment. Thank God I'm not there anymore. You know, it, it, who makes up those rules? And can we circle back to the hotel maid who has to push a panic button? Mm. Um, how hard would she have to work to be safe? It, is there is there a speed and thoroughness with which she could clean that room that would protect her from the kind of assaults we were talking about? Mm -hmm. Look, there's literally no industry, right, where where this doesn't happen. And, you know, I've been saying a lot to men. I'm like, if you need permission to assume that, like, every woman you've probably ever interacted with has a story of either being harassed, being abused, being stalked, being followed, being masturbated in front of, I'm giving you permission today. Because the default should be for men when they are interacting with a woman to assume that she has had that experience. And I think that's that's sort of a switch because I think we are somehow surprised. We're like, oh, you had this happen to you. It shouldn't be surprising, unfortunately and very sadly. And I wonder if that switch was on for for men especially, um, if it would be different. Um, and, and thinking about those rules, right, that would it suck if men realized, I, I, and I'm you know, generalizing here, but in our conversation of you know, women and women of color and people of color have to work twice as hard as a, as a white guy, shouldn't the white guy be like, I don't, I don't want to, like, am I, you know, sort of have to have my training. Like, I have my training wheels on. And everyone's out there riding bikes. Like, I should be held up to a standard that's just as high. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I guess I'm curious. What will make men sort of care? 
why isn't he challenged about the affirmative action he experienced? Exactly. And, and exactly. what that says about his performance, I think, right. is part of what you're saying. Exactly. The affirmative yeah. action of like life, right? That you do get ahead if you are a, a white man. So what do we do for each other? Sob. <laughs> sob. Yeah. No. no, I'm kidding. First we, I'm kidding. No, first we sob. Yes. No. I'm not into but, crying. I think we should just. But seriously, it, I, I know that it shouldn't all be on women. But we do have movements that are much more organized uh, at the at the labor and low wage level. What do we do to make this more than just a kind of a titillating scandal that mm. will be gone in a few months? I'll tell you. I think we all should go and work a day as an Uber driver or a maid or a a laborer. We could start with that. I don't know how many women in our position would be willing to do something like that, but how are we able to even, you can't advocate for anyone unless you've actually walked in their shoes and understand like what it's about. Um, I'll give you an example really quickly. Um, this is kind of funny. So I own my apartment in the Upper West Side. I worked really hard to get that apartment. It's a really nice apartment. <laughs> but uh, when I'm at home during the day, sometimes I will go downstairs and do laundry. And I have no makeup on. I don't have my ring on. But I'm down there. And all the nannies think I'm a nanny too. Hmm. And it's really really interesting the conversations that I have with them the assumption because of my color because mm -hmm. I have no makeup on um, they give me tips they talk to me about the building and for, at first I was like yo wait a second like how do you assume that I'm a nanny and then I'm like oh I see what's going on here mm -hmm. it's my color and the fact that I'm home during the day and I'm slogging around laundry and so all of a sudden I'm privy to these conversations that they're able to have. And I'm all of a sudden open to their world that maybe me being who I am as a business owner and an owner of a really nice apartment in the Upper West Side probably wouldn't have access to. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying we should all walk a little bit in the shoes of women in order to understand how, what and what they're going through and how they're feeling. Right. And then there's the opposite, right, where, uh, you know, there's a woman of color comes into a business setting and people think that she's the cleaner or she's there to bring the snacks when she's leading the meeting. Oh, right? hi. That's the story and, of my right, effing life. Right. And God. so, you know, it's also <laughs> unconscious bias, which which I think is the word of it's two words, but it's the concept of 2017. I talked about this with an expert called uh, Verne Myers, and she says revealing and sort of coming to terms with our unconscious bias is our superpower. And I think we need to have this conversation and we need to feel like we can make mistakes or that we've made mistakes and acknowledge, you know, the behavior that in the past we didn't realize maybe was inappropriate and now you can change and now you can be different. And I think for men, for women, for, for everyone. Uh, does anybody else in this conversation have kids or am I just way older than everyone? I'm making a kid. I have a cactus. It's dying. Okay. I'll get rid of it if you have a kid. But no, I just, I, I mean, for, 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 seriously, we had a terrible incident. But, oh, my oh God. God. No. But for me, Sorry, you know, I started out raising kids, and now I'm raising humans. They're, they're mm -hmm. 16. They're going to be gone soon. And I think about, talk about unconscious bias. Last, we're in a hotel right now visiting colleges, and, um, I went to say goodnight to them last night and they're in separate rooms and I showed my daughter how to lock the deadbolt and the second bolt on her hotel room, which was news to her and she asked why and I went to bed and I thought, wait, I didn't tell my son that. Mm. And that happens, you know, I, I told my daughter, watch out, someone could come in and rape you tonight, but I, but I didn't 
tell my son that and man it's it's really deep no matter how hard you try not to and I think it all it does come back to what you said about working twice as hard like do you do you raise people to live in the world as it is or do you try to create a world that you would like your children to live in and maybe it's not an either or um but the, but, I, but I struggle with it well don't they say in order to build something you got to break it first or I just that's I, I made that up that's, that's <laughs> broken windows broken win- no 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 I'm not I'm not advocating for breaking okay, windows good. but like you know basically like it has oh, to we're pour before the, the sunshine places, comes out one like of those that. I'm good at idioms usually <laughs> just well, not in this moment the one I've heard is you have to know the rule to know the rules to break the rules Ooh, that's much better yeah. I like that it. Is. I think there's also we're stronger in the broken places Oh, yes. th- there you go. Well, that's <laughs> anyway, the thing. Yes. Lots of breaking. Heart is the best yes. example for that, though. Britney yes. Spears has a lot of broken, um, <laughs> I was broken, then I'm back lyrics, too. If you want to look Ooh. into that, it's really interesting. Yeah. She's yeah. strong. You know, She's strong. <laughs> we're, well, but, so that's the question. We Something is breaking right now. Yeah. And yeah. is it going to heal stronger, or are we going to be more fractured? Yes. And, and recognizing what's broken is important, because, or else you can never rebuild it. Yeah. So... Thank you so much. Wow, really, really fascinating conversation. You thank you, Michelle. Awesome. Thank you, Nell. Yeah, you um, too. Thank you. That was, that was really captivating. So what I thought was even more captivating about this whole conversation is that, and I never thought of this, is that as someone who is strong, educated, from privilege, you automatically think you have to take the reins on this. Mm-hmm. And what... Nell was saying is that actually, no, we need to not only just step back, which is contrary to what we've all been told not to do, but step back, listen, and also just let these women take the lead and show us what to do. Mm. Because, and I think so much of the time, we're constantly taking the reins, but maybe our perspective is skewed. And that's what I got out of it. Maybe I've been just using my perspective but maybe it's not that effective. Right. And, and, and in a way, we often expect men to uh, not take the reins and to follow women and to listen to women. And obviously, yes. all of those things are always important and are especially impo- important in a moment like this. But I actually think men should be taking the reins of this conversation. Uh, women have been uh, really at the forefront of this movement around violence against women, uh, around violence against themselves, um, coming primarily from men. And this needs to be a conversation around men. I mean, I've been seeing you know, men like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck sort of going on shows and, and going in public and saying, you know, I'm not a spokesperson or I'm just really going to listen. We need men to listen, but also talk. Right. And we need men to speak about their own culture, you know, aside from a, 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 a culture where women are, you know, turned into victims in the workplace, where men turn into predators. And obviously there's a majority of men who are good men. There is a majority of men who are watching this news cycle unfold and are saying, that's not me. That's not my, that's not how I was raised. That's not how my friends were raised. And we need those men to speak up. Right. Liz, aren't you writing a book about men? Yes. (laughs) In fact, I am. Yeah. The announcement came out uh, this week. And so I've been talking to a lot of men for for about two years about masculinity and and about manhood and modern manhood and what that looks like um and so it's it's been really interesting to see you know 
before this moment, there were a lot of men who wanted to talk about what modern masculinity looks looked like. And now it seems um, sort of even more pressing as a conversation that we really all should be having. I'm so glad that someone is finally looking at it on a global perspective because everyone talks mm -hmm. about it. I mean, what was masculinity back in the 1950s versus now? Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to see it pen to paper. Like, when is it coming out? When is it going to be finished? <laughs> uh, in, a, in a while. I have to, like, lock myself into my apartment. Uh, uh, in, I'll, in I'll order come to over and bring it. you some Fall food. Fall 2019. You're so sweet. Um, but, yeah, masculinity has been sort of the gender, the invisible gender, right? When we think about women in the 1950s, women now, we, we, we see very different images in our heads because right. we've had a lot of conversations about it. Um, but we just haven't had a, such a big public conversation about men. And now seems like a really good time to do it. Are you going to talk about why men don't cry? Yes. I have a whole chapter where I just try and get men to cry. I just put like a bunch of sad, uh, uh, like cinematic uh, and television artifacts of like sad movies. Like when like, like uh, Free Willy like is like <laughs> how, how about Andre Agassi's farewell speech? Yes. I know there a lot of men go. that cried. Oh, really? Wow, well, that's a good one. I'll add it girl. to my list. Yeah. I'll add it to my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you want to see the in-studio version of this episode, because we had cameras in here, check us out at dividedstatesofwomen.com. There's a Comcast video series that um, has been in shooting for a couple of weeks now, um, and we sort of travel across the country speaking to women, and this episode will be part of an episode about sexual harassment in the workplace. Divided States of Women is executive produced by David Goodman, Heatha Herzog, Nisha Kurwa, and created by me, Liz Plank.